right, well, welcome everybody to Pillar Church of Oceanside, Saturday night edition, the only edition really at this point, so you're in the right place. And I got to tell you, it's it's encouraging to my heart to be here with you guys. Um, even though we look around, like I said last week, we're in a parking lot, it's Saturday night, it's a little bit weird, but hey, we're here two weeks in a row, right? Amen for that. It's a blessing. And it is, we are fortunate, you know, that there are... There are churches in Oceanside right now that aren't meeting. They're, they're either they don't have a place to meet, they're too big to meet, and it doesn't make sense to you know have a hundred services over the weekend to try to get everybody you know ministered to. And so the fact that we're here is is a big deal. I don't want to lose sight of that because it's easy to get discouraged sometimes. You're like, oh man, is this what church looks like right now? Well, yeah, it is. And praise God that we're here. Right? I mean, come on, let's get real about this. And it's a good good thing because you know why? Because God has us exactly where he wants us. If there's something I'm confident of right now, church, is that God has us exactly where he wants us. And so I just want to encourage us, I guess, if, if I would, in this evening. And I mentioned it last week, but New Song Church here is great. They've, they've lent their parking lot to us. They have a great facility. Guess where they meet? Right here in the parking lot. <laughs> Probably for the rest of the summer. Because it just makes sense for them. And, and so, you know, there's a new norm. And, and I, I know a lot of people kind of push back against that new normal and, and that, whatever. There's things that are different than, than they used to be, right? And, and we have to be able to move where God is moving us. And so in, in that line, the elders have been, been praying about our preaching calendar. And we've decided to take a, a pause, a little intermission from our Genesis study. So we've been working through Genesis for a good little clip now, and we're, we're kind of at a good resting point. What we have is a few chapters until we were going to take a break anyway, when uh, Abraham's life comes to an end. But we really feel that God is, is leading us to preach on some specific things, and so we want to uh, just be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is leading in that way. And so um, why don't you just join me in a word of prayer as we begin the first sermon of what will be a series TBD in terms of length. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we're just going to follow the, the Holy Spirit. So if you would pray with me right now, and then we'll jump in to the message, okay? Is this working? Yeah, okay. Is this thing on? Okay, okay. I'm just making sure you're here, and it was like, maybe you didn't hear what I was saying. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for uh, just the fact that we're here to de- together and praising your name, Lord, as our voices went up together in song. It's a beautiful thing. There are a few things, I think, on this earth uh, more beautiful and more encouraging than the, the voices of believers in you coming together, lifting our voices in praise to you. It's such a beautiful and, and, and amazing thing, God. So thank you for the opportunity to gather in person. Lord, I know that there are others that desire to be with us that are at home, and we pray for them, Lord, that they would also find a way to connect and remain you know, in in community with us. God is such an important aspect of us as humans. And so, Lord, as we pause from the study, and we thank you for your guidance, and we thank you for your leadership in this time to, to direct us as we try to, to, to discern what it is that you would have for us to, to, to bring to the congregation, Lord. And, and I ask that you would open our, our hearts to receive the message today. There are plenty of distractions, Lord, in this world, and there are plenty of literal distractions Right here and right now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to move past all that. God, give us razor focus to hear the message that you have for us today. And I pray that you'd speak through me with clarity and, and, and boldness 
And I praise you for the opportunity to do this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, there is... Um, there are two ice chests back there full of bottles of water. If you get thirsty and you would like to grab one, by all means, um, there's some hand sanitizer there. You can sanitize your hands and grab a little bottle and take it back. Feel free to get up at any time and do that. So, All right. Can I please get a show of hands real quick of anybody that really, really enjoys change? Like particularly change about things that you are really comfortable in. Like you... You love this thing, but you can't wait to change it. How, how many of those folks? Okay, two of you. Okay, Let me, see me after this. <clears throat> no, uh, seriously though, a lot of us, most of us, don't really like change. Why? Because it's hard, right? It's, it's not fun. It's, sometimes it's difficult and scary and uncomfortable. Can I get an amen? Yeah. But is change necessary sometimes? Yes, it is. Why? Because in order to change, you always have to experience, or in order to grow, you always have to experience change. Take my grapevines, for example. Six months ago, the grapevines in front of my house, I, I took the pruners to them, and I, I if I'm honest with you, I, I thought I killed them. Like, I took them way down to practically nothing, and I'm just like, man, these things are going to be done. Lo and behold, spring comes, little buds come out, and all of a sudden these leaves are coming out. I'm like, yes, sweet. Now there's little bunches of fruit, and I'm like, yes, they're going to be great soon. And it's awesome, wonderful. However, none of that would have happened if I didn't change their composition, if you will, by doing some pruning. Now let me ask you this. This is interactive today if you haven't picked up on that. Do you want to see growth in your own life? Yes. Yes. Okay, that was great. A resounding yes. Well, guess what? Change is required. Okay, I think we, we put that together about this point. Maybe it's in the amount of time that you're investing in something. Maybe a hobby. Maybe um, a relationship. Maybe it's a different attitude about a difficult co-worker. Something has got to change in that. Maybe it's more reliance on the Holy Spirit to see your marriage improving. No matter the circumstances, growth is always accompanied by change. Now, don't think this is some self-help talk where I'm going to give you a few quick fixes and everything's going to be fine, because that's not the case. In fact, the opposite can be said, because like I said, change is uncomfortable. And we, right here, all of us, are not called to a life of comfort. We, as Christians in this parking lot today, are not called to a life of comfort. How does that make you feel? Uncomfortable, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the deal. We are in a season of change in our country and in our church. It's very evident. You can't get around that. So we have a tremendous opportunity to embrace the change and be a part of that process. Or we have an opportunity to ignore it, be passed over, and left behind. Those are our two options when we're looking at what we have in front of us. So we need to go into it in all fairness, with our eyes open, knowing that change is upon us, change is uncomfortable, we're not called to a life of comfort, which then makes the title of the sermon today Beyond Comfortable. Beyond Comfortable. And this is probably going to be a multiple part thing. As I was praying over the last week or so, I had like three things that I was going to go through today, and as I was writing the sermon, I just 
I only got to one. <laughs> so uh, probably a multiple part series of Beyond Comfortable. But I want to start with giving a brief example. Anybody familiar with the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt? You guys remember that story? Um, I'll give you a little bit of a synopsis, but if you want to go back and read Exodus 14, you can get kind of a glimpse of that. So they're basically forced into this change with everything about their situation is going to shift. And fortunately for them, their situation was absolutely awful. So this change is, is a good thing. So they're in <clears throat> captivity under the Egyptians. It's, and is it good for them or bad for them? Bad. They're in captivity, slaves in Egypt. Is it good for them or bad for them? Bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's really bad, in fact. Uh, Exodus 14 tells us that they were inflicted with heavy burdens. They were oppressed and ruthlessly, ruthlessly made to work, essentially to death. Like Their existence was to work however many hours a day, every day, until they died. And then the king of Egypt makes this decree. He says, you know what, they're getting a little bit too big. We're going to kill every firstborn child that comes into the Hebrews. So I'm not sure it could get any worse for these Hebrew folks. But God in his mercy, what does he do? He rescues them out of that situation. Things got uncomfortable, right? Where do they go? What's the first stop as they come out of Egypt? What's in front of them? Big, huge body of water. The Red Sea, right? Can they get through it? Can they get over it? Can they swim? Can they go around? No. So there's a huge obstacle. Then they turn around and realize, oh man, now Egypt is coming after us. They're, they're not happy. So things got uncomfortable. And they're looking at the situation going, this is not going to end well. And what do they say they wish they were doing instead of in this position? Oh, that we would be back in Egypt. Like, really? <laughs> you want to go back to where you just were? Now, is that really what they wanted? No, it's not. What do they want? They just wanted out of their current uncomfortable situation. That's what they really wanted. Because almost always, the comfort we seek is in temporary things, which are unreliable and unable to truly satisfy us. But when we begin to grow and change in our faith and the understanding of biblical principles, things get hard. Because what is taught in this Bible to us, oftentimes, or always we might say, do not line up with the teachings of this world. But in order to avoid being conformed to this world, we must choose to be shaped by what? The Word of God. In other words, we got to change. We got to change. As followers of Jesus, this is just part of the deal for us. And hopefully we knew that. <laughs> At some point, somebody who was leading us to Christ told us, like the old 80s Marine Corps poster, right? We didn't promise you a rose garden, right? John Martin's the only one that remembers that poster. <clears throat> Sorry to call you out, brother. <clears throat> Right? I mean, that, that's kind of what we're talking about here. It, it's, not a, it's not a rose garden that we're looking for. I mean, in eternity, there's some things that are going to be worth every bit of suffering and challenge that we face. But on this planet, we've got some work in front of us. So we ask ourselves the question, are we seeking God's help because we truly desire to change as he directs us? Or are we seeking him for the sake of seeking him? We're not really interested in what he has to say, but we're going to check that box because we know we have to as Christians. God, do you think I should do this? Okay, great. Now I'm moving on. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm not going to pause long enough to hear what he has to say. We include God in the process out of obligation 
and not out of obedience. Whoop, check that box. I didn't really hear what you had to say, Lord, but I'm sure you're doing just fine with what I'm doing. So what does all this have to do with us today? It's like the world's longest introduction, right? In what ways do we need to become beyond comfortable? I'd say based on the state of our nation, there are a lot of things where we can become beyond comfortable. But I'd like to examine one particular area under the heading of biblical principles versus worldly practices. So we've got a biblical principle, something that is taught here in the Word of God, that flies in the face of what the world practices around us. Everybody understand what I'm talking about with that. So one biblical principle that confronts worldly practices is loving your enemy. Loving your enemy. With the worldly practice being love whoever is easy to love. Love whoever you feel like loving. Be nice, be kind, whatever, whatever, whoever. But we know, as Christians, the Bible calls us to love. Right? We all know that. We're supposed to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. We got that. Check. We're supposed to love our neighbor as what? Love our neighbor as ourselves. Who's our neighbor? Everybody. We know that. Jesus taught that. Parable of the Good Samaritan. But we're also called to love our enemy. Now you might be asking yourself, does the Bible really say that we need to love our enemy? Is it it just a good idea? What do you think? Does the Bible really say to love your enemy or is it just a good idea? It does. Well, let's just make sure. If you have a Bible, you can look to John. No, Matthew, sorry. Matthew 5. This is a, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus is here. He's actually addressing a, a misinterpretation of an Old Testament teaching, and he's kind of expanding on what his standard is in terms of loving. So Matthew chapter 5, you can go down to verse 43, is what it says. You've heard it said, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So the teaching is there. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So, who then is our enemy? we got to pray for these people. we got to work through this. I would say in this day and age, it can feel like we've got more enemies than allies. Right? You post the wrong thing on social media and it's like, whoa, watch out. Be careful. But when we read this in the context of the Gospels, we know that Jesus is kind of telling us there's a spectrum of people that could be considered in that category of enemies. And we, we pull that from these verses. Verse 44 tells us it can be somebody who persecutes you. Somebody who intentionally is trying to go out of their way to hurt you, to harm you, because of your faith, because of something that they believe that you don't, or vice versa. Verse 44 tells us that. Could be somebody who is evil and unjust. 
Verse 45 tells us that. So, if a person is evil and unjust, are they a follower of Jesus? Probably not in this context, what he's talking about. So, if, if a person is not a follower of Jesus, they are, in his words, an enemy of God, right? So here's, here's what I want to say about this. Uh, and I actually want to quote um, John Piper. He says this in, the, in, in regard to this text. Another way to understand enemies in this passage is that they are people who are repeatedly going against your desires. They may not call themselves enemies. You may not call them enemies, but they resist your will. They are contrary and antagonistic. In this sense, the enemy might be a rebellious child, might be an uncaring, non-listening, ill-tempered husband, maybe a cantankerous neighbor that complains about everything you do to your yard. Jesus says, love your enemies. So as you're thinking about this today, you likely have several people that come to mind as enemies in the context of the ongoing racial tensions that are around us. If you're involved in any kind of conversations in person or via social media or phone calls, you're, you're quick to notice that there are some challenging issues that are around us. Some people have differing views than you, correct? Yes. Yes, thank you. Some people say hurtful and harmful things, yes? Yes. Yes. They are, as Piper says, contrary and antagonistic to what you do and what you believe. So what do we do? We love them, yes, absolutely, we love them. How? Yeah, pray for them. Jesus said that. Pray for those who persecute you. But we love them also by holding fast to what we believe without alienating them through our harsh words, our harsh tones, our careless words. We love them, church, by sharing the truth about God and that he has created all people in his image and that all of us are deserving of the same respect and dignity. That's a teaching that Jesus gives us that we can extend in love to those who maybe believe other than that. Now, we don't wave our faith around like a banner trying to shame them into a different point of view because that's never going to work. Because this is not our opinion. It's not our biased point of view. It is the teaching and design of God himself. We choose love over and above being right. We choose love over and above making our point again for the third time. We choose love when the conversation becomes toxic by redirecting or gracefully exiting the conversation. Now hear me on this. I am not saying that you compromise what you believe. That is not what I'm saying in any way, shape, or form. But sometimes... Oftentimes, you are not the one to educate your enemy. That's just kind of how it works. How, then, you're asking yourself, do we balance standing up for what we believe in with a person, loving a person who believes the opposite and wants to engage in unhealthy debate? 
Has that ever crossed your mind? Like, how am I supposed to do all of this? It just, it doesn't make sense. I'm supposed to love this person, yet they're just spewing hate at me. So, quickly. We have to, at the appropriate point, understand that preserving your Christian witness is more important than any issue you are passionate about. Preserving your Christian witness is more important than any issue that you are passionate about. The moment the reputation of Jesus comes into a poor light because of your actions, you are no longer loving Jesus or your enemy because his reputation is what matters most. It is always right to point out and stand up for injustice. Always. We as Christians are specifically directed in the scriptures to do this. So this is not a matter of doing or not doing. It's a matter of how we go about doing it. This I'd be willing to bet, is the part where all of us need to experience that uncomfortableness, that growth is required. When we are so impassioned by the wrongs and injustices we see all around us, it gets very difficult to walk in love, right? You're just like, but is it difficult or is it uncomfortable? Yeah, I'd say it's difficult because it's uncomfortable. But that's a good thing. We know we are called to be a strong and faithful ambassador for Christ, right? We are ambassadors of Christ. We are his representatives on this earth. But when we get pushed around by the worldly practice of say what you want, whenever you want, however you want, we sometimes feel the need to respond in kind, right? Yeah, don't shake your head. You can. I know. I'll shake it for you. Yes. We're forced into this uncomfortable position of having to decide between the satisfaction we will briefly experience by telling that person what's what and loving our enemy through a patient, merciful, kind response. We have to make that decision on a regular basis. When everything inside of you just wants to rip that guy's head off, Get uncomfortable by choosing love over retaliation. We extend grace regardless of deservedness because that's what we received from Christ. Now, we don't remain silent, but we choose our words and our audience wisely, knowing that having the truth and wielding it as a weapon of division and disorder is wrong. There's a lot of that going on right now, church. Just because you have the truth and what you know to be right and you wield it and cause division and disorder, that's the wrong way of going about it. Because your witness, your testimony about who Jesus is, is coming into question. But here's the crux of it all. Maybe you didn't catch it, I was reading earlier. But if you go back to Matthew 5, in verse 45, it tells us, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. But what precedes that? He tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that 
you can become sons and daughters of God. It's not that we earn our position as adopted into God's family, but that in our obedience to God, we prove that we're children of God. We demonstrate our identity as Christians by loving our enemies. And it's a very powerful witness. And we need more of that kind of thing in our world today. We need to hear more people asking the question, why are you able to be so patient and loving and kind with these people who are so hurtful and difficult? Because we are children of God, who himself is the giver of patience, love, and kindness. And we only do these things because we have undergone the ultimate change already. Right? Our hearts of stone have been replaced by a heart of flesh as we've turned from our sin and believed in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So how do you need to grow beyond comfortable today as it relates to loving your enemies? That's only a question that you can answer. But I think it's pretty clear that we need to do this. So my encouragement then is to meditate this week Really spend some time focusing on the idea of, of biblical practices versus worldly principles, first of all. Biblical practices, biblical principles versus worldly practices. Focus in on that, and then look for ways in which you can grow in the area of loving, difficult, and hurtful people. Not so that you can feel better about yourself. Not so that you can look good on social media. But you look for opportunities to grow in loving, difficult, and hurtful people for Jesus, for his namesake, for his glory, which, of course, we know ultimately is for our good. You know, if anybody has kids, you know the whole idea of disciplining them is not fun as a parent. Nobody likes to discipline their kids. But what is it for? <laughs> it's for, for their good, right? It's always so that they would grow and learn and, and become good, functioning human beings in this world. That's the why we do those things. But God, as the Father and us as his children, we do the same thing. We come under the correction, the pruning, the shaping, the sculpting. And as we all acknowledge, except for two people that are going to see me after this, we don't like that. <laughs> we don't like that. And what do we do when we don't like things? We avoid it. We look away or just like, oh, uh, just look at the sunset. It's so pretty. We distract ourselves. Church, we cannot afford to distract ourselves any longer. We are not in a position to avoid the change that is going on. I mean, look at where we are right now. Change is here, my friends. This is just one example. And the only reason I chose this one is because I know that a lot of people are wrestling with right now, how do I do this? How do I navigate my Christian faith in light of all of this hurt and hateful things that are going on around me. But let's set that aside for a minute and just look at us, where we are right now. We're changing. We're evolving. We're not comfortable, and that's okay, because it means God is growing us. We're not here because we've got some big fancy building, and we're comfortable here. If that's why you're here, then you're here for the wrong reason. And I realize that some people are not going to make this transition with us. Because it's not going to be comfortable. That's a hard thing for us to admit. But it's the truth. 
because sometimes we're in things for the wrong reasons. So join me in acknowledging that we need to change, all of us. Today, the particular topic is loving our enemies. Tomorrow, it'll be something different, and next week, it'll be something different. But praise God that we are continually growing and being shaped by the Word of God and not by the world around us. Because if you do look around, that list of enemies against Christians is getting longer and longer and longer. So this is not going to go away, my friends. This is a skill set that we are going to need until Jesus calls us home. So we might as well get to work on it, right? All right. That's the message for today. We're going to pray and wrap us up, and then we're going to continue. Father, we just thank you so much for the fact that, as Christy prayed earlier, you love us so much that you, you refuse to leave us where we are. You desire for us to grow and to mature and to change. And I'm so grateful that you do. Because we desire to grow and change and be moved by you, God. And thank you, Christ, that you came to this earth, that you suffered and, and, and gave your life freely for us, that we might become children of God. That the old has passed away and the new has come. That we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you're a Christian here today, you're walking out that new identity in Christ as a child of God, and you're desiring to grow and to mature and recognizing that it's going to be uncomfortable, and that's okay. So Lord, help us to be okay with that. Help us to embrace the change and to run head on into it, knowing that every step of the way, you've got our back. You never leave, never forsake. You're going to direct every path and every step. I thank you so much for every person here this evening, every person that's going to listen to this. God, would you bless our lives and help us to pursue you in all that we do. I thank you and I pray.